Good morning. I'm Kevin. I'm not the pastor. Just putting that one out there. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm really looking forward to Chris being back next week because it is significantly less stressful to listen to a sermon than it is to provide one to people. So just uh, throwing that out. And, and in fact, I'm here to bring questions more than I'm here to bring answers. And specifically, I want to talk about something that's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. So just be, be aware it's going to be uncomfortable, but that's okay. This church is a great place to wrestle with things that are uncomfortable. We're okay with that here. So if you have those kinds of, those kinds of things in your life that are just kind of uncomfortable, that's all right. You're in the right place. Now, if you have been following along with the online sermons for the last decade, no, two years, it just felt like a decade, the last two years, uh, you probably remember a sermon that was done on healthy relationships. So what I want to do is list a few things and see if, if you can just sort of put yourself in the right mindset. Think about what comes to mind when I say healthy relationship with money. What does that look like? What is a healthy relationship with money? What about food? What does a healthy relationship with food look like? I think most of us sort of understand this kind of intuitively. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more my body reminds me how important this is. And at the moment, I'm trying not to put on that COVID-19. <laughs> but, uh, you know, that's just, maybe that's just me. What about a healthy relationship with work? What would that look like? A healthy relationship with work. For some of you, it might be tied to the next one, which is a healthy relationship with family. Sometimes the work and family healthy relationship balance can be a little hard to attain. What about a healthy relationship with friends? What does it look like to have a healthy relationship with friends? Maybe friends that don't share your same views about things. Maybe friends that are on a different side of an important topic than you. Can you still be friends? Can you still be healthy friends? Is that possible these days? And then there's one other thing I want to talk about a healthy relationship with, and that is truth. What does a healthy relationship with truth look like? Any ideas? You can throw them out. No, I'm not talking about the new social network. No, no, this, yes. I am not talking about any social network in general. What does a healthy relationship with truth look like? Humility. Humility, okay. You may have noticed it's a lot easier to come up with ideas about what a healthy relationship with this other stuff looks like than it is to come up with ideas about what a healthy relationship with truth looks like. Why is that? I think it's because we don't take the time to really stop and think about what a healthy relationship with truth would look like. And maybe it would help if we just sort of, you know, defined the terms here, right? You know, so I, I went, you know, and, and looked up in the dictionary, what is true? That's not true. I Googled it because that's what everyone does. But at least I got my information from Oxford University Press, so it's okay. I don't even know where my dictionary, physical dictionary is in my house anymore. It's probably on a bookshelf somewhere. So I found this definition, truth, which is the quality or state of being true, which is not particularly helpful, so I decided to look up true and thought maybe that would be better. So in accordance with fact or reality, accurate, exact. So these are the kinds of things that define truth or true. So I want to discuss today the idea that truth is something that is real, a fact. Let's, let's just... I propose we use this definition at least for today. Now, 
I would hazard to guess that anybody who is listening to this talk is interested in understanding some truth or getting closer to the truth, whatever that happens to be. But take yourself out of that mindset and ask yourself this. What do you think the average American would say if you asked them this question? What is truth? It's okay. Throw them out. What do you think? Social media network. Social media network. Okay. Being honest. Being honest. What would the average American say? I was kind of expecting to hear this one. It doesn't exist. How many, how many of you have a friend who thinks this is the definition of truth? Yeah. Right? I think pretty much everyone has that. So you're going with it, it's relative? What, what, what is the irony here? The actual definition of truth is real, a fact. And people think it doesn't exist. Does that seem ironic to anyone else? It's literally the opposite of the definition of the word. <clears throat> so why do you think there are people that believe this? What do you think is the reason that a lot of Americans don't think truth exists? Oh, no. I might have to change my mind if I knew it existed. Well, we just think it's relative. We think it's relative, but why? What, what, what was the driver that has done that to us? What has been driving such division? The disinformation age, mm, but that's been around forever. I'm going to propose that one of the key reasons, oh no, I can't say this, this is, this is polite company, you're not allowed to bring this word up. Are you? Ooh, that's uncomfortable, isn't it? Ooh, that's uncomfortable. You can't talk about politics in church. Oh, you can't do that, that's not comfortable. That's all right, remember, this is an okay place to be uncomfortable. Now, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what you should think. But since we're on the, 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 the bandwagon of defining words, I thought I'd help, you know, it would help to start off by defining politics. Now, you may remember this comes from two Greek roots, poly, meaning many, and ticks, meaning blood-sucking parasite. No, that's not true. That's not true. I made that up. That's also not true. Somebody else made that up way before me. But I do want to pull up an article. This article came out last month on the one-year anniversary of the shenanigans that took place in the Capitol. And the article asserts that more than 40% in the United States do not believe Biden legitimately won the election, at least according to a poll. Now that's uncomfortable to hear. That's uncomfortable to hear somebody say that in church too. But I'm guessing most folks had a similar reaction to that. Some people just don't want to accept the truth. And the great thing about that is it doesn't matter where you are on the spectrum. Regardless of your political affiliation or lack thereof, you probably had a similar reaction. Some people don't want to accept the truth. <laughs> and that points back to our other question, what is the nature of truth? Is it the cynical reaction that we looked at before? That it doesn't exist? It's relative, so I can believe whatever I want? Or is it something different? Now, I know a lot of people think that this cynicism is sort of a modern cynicism, right? That, that it's something that's occurred pretty recently. But I want to push, push back on that a little bit. And I'm going to point to a, a particular scripture in John in order to do it. Specifically, I'm going to pull it from the message, and you'll see why in a minute. But to set the stage here, 
Jesus rarely butted heads with political leaders. He usually butted heads with the religious leaders. Now, for those of you that don't know, at, at the time that this was going on, Rome was the political leadership at the time, but Rome handed over authority on religious matters to the religious leadership within this area. Um, they could do a lot of things. They couldn't kill people because you don't kill Roman citizens. That, that gets into a big you know, mess about citizens and things. But, but that's the background behind this particular passage. And so the Jewish leadership have Jesus arrested, and they hand him over to a guy named Pilate, who was the representative of Rome, and asked Pilate to have Jesus executed. And this conversation takes place between Pilate and Jesus. Pilate went back into the palace and called for Jesus. He said, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own, or did others tell you this about me? And Pilate said, do I look like a Jew? Your people and your high priest turned you over to me. What did you do? My kingdom, said Jesus, doesn't consist of what you can see around you. If it did, my followers would fight so that I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. But I am not that kind of king. Not the world's kind of king. Then Pilate said, so are you a king or not? Jesus answered, you tell me. Because I am king, I was born and entered the world so that I could witness to the truth. Everyone who cares for truth, who has any feeling for the truth, recognizes my voice. Pilate said, what is truth? Now, I want to focus on one word in this passage. And it may not be the word you're expecting. Pilate said, what is truth? Pilate didn't ask Jesus, what is truth? And in fact, some versions, some other scriptures translate this as Pilate scoffed. What is truth? Now, when it comes to truth, Pilate expresses the sentiment that we're still hearing 2,000 years later. Now, is it more uncomfortable or less uncomfortable to hear that at least one politician 2,000 years ago had the same relationship with truth as a lot of people do today? I don't know the answer to that. So back to the question, what does a healthy relationship with truth look like? I want to take a minute to focus on this one. And I have, I have a story that I think will help with this. Um, when I was a child, my father taught US history. Uh, this is what he did for a living. And so because he was a teacher, we had a large break in the middle of the summer that, that he wasn't working. So he took the family on a road trip. And we went from Bakersfield, California, all the way to Florida and then up and down the East Coast, hitting every major Civil War and Revolutionary War site that is there. And I can promise you there are a lot. And when your parent lectures about this for a job and finally gets to the place where that parent can see that place, they get very excited and lecture a lot about it. This is also something I know. But one thing that stuck out in my mind from this trip which is pretty ironic because it had almost nothing to do with the trip, was when we were in a museum. I think it was the National History Museum in Washington, D.C., if I'm not mistaken. And it was a donation bucket. Now, you've probably seen these. 
It's one of these little guys. Oh, you know what? Let me grab this. <laughs> it's stuck. You put a coin in, and the coin goes round and round and round and round and round and round, and eventually it drops down. You'll notice a little kid slip into the side of the picture here, and he's like, oh, what's going on? I want to see what the... That's definitely what I was doing when I was that age. This thing captivated me. I was like, ooh, ooh. Mom, Dad, can I have more coins? Give me all of your coins. I want to keep doing this because I want to keep watching it. Wow, that little clinking sound is just so satisfying. So, I think that is what a healthy relationship with truth looks like. Going down the drain? I, you would not be the first person to assert this. So why am I bringing this up? Well, let's start with a short philosophy lesson. Um, when thinking about the nature of truth, it's helpful to ask yourself three questions. And whether you call yourself a Christian or not, these three questions are actually really helpful for taking anything you're uncomfortable about and putting it into some sort of framework where you can process it. So the first question you have to ask yourself is, does truth exist? Now again, people keep saying truth doesn't exist, but I don't think that's what they actually mean. Even the people that say this probably have a strong opinion on whether Biden won the election or not. Now whether that opinion is he did or he did not, they have a strong opinion on it. They're like, no, 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 it definitely is X. So they believe there is a truth there. But they may not believe that it's possible for us to know that truth. So that's the second question. Can we know truth? I think as Christians, we can assert that truth exists. I don't think that's a problem. Jesus calls himself the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. I think as Christians, we can assume, assert that this is true, that truth exists. And I think non-Christians can as well, because frankly, if you don't assume that, pretty much every framework for reality breaks down and becomes kind of chaotic. But can we know truth? I think the answer to that question is yes. And in fact, going back to this very uncomfortable topic of the election, I think most people would agree that somebody knows the truth. Regardless of who that person is, somebody must know, right? So I think we can probably agree that truth exists and that we can know it. The third question is a bit more subtle. Can we know that we know truth? In other words, can we be certain that this thing we know is truth? I think this question gets at the heart of the concept of belief. Can I believe something is true? Do I have to believe something is true? Can I know something is true? I think that's where things break down. And people that say truth doesn't exist, I think this is what they're actually saying. I can't know if what I believe is true. And that's uncomfortable, isn't it? I don't, I don't like that. And again, I'm, I'm not here to tell you what to believe, but I think it's very important to think about how you believe, to think about how you wrestle with concepts of truth, especially ones that are uncomfortable. And I do want to throw out one specific warning here, and that warning is this. 
If someone stands to benefit from you not thinking about the nature of truth, you should probably think all the more deeply about whether what they are telling you is true or not. That's probably intuitive. And this is not about politics. I mean, it is about politics. But it's also about advertising, isn't it? It's also about education, right? And I say this as somebody who works in education. <laughs> it's also about your friends. And for some of us, it's about our family. If someone stands to benefit from you not thinking about the nature of truth, it's probably a good idea to do it. So how do we, how do we process things like this? What, what does it look like? Well, let, let's take a few examples. I'm sure everybody remembers the concept of a syllogism, right? If A implies B and B implies C, then A implies C. The, the classic example from Aristotle is, Socrates is a man, all men are mortal, therefore, Socrates is mortal. Now, there's a whole bunch of ways that you can play around with syllogisms and slightly tweak what it is you, you start from as your assertion and come up with some pretty outlandish examples of er erroneous syllogisms. Here's one. All cats have four legs, all dogs have four legs, therefore all cats are dogs. Or, therefore some cats are dogs. Now that's just silly. Nobody's gonna believe that, right? But they're fun, so let's do another one. Some cats are black, some TVs are black, therefore some cats are TVs, clearly. Right? Some people are shaking their head. Well, yeah, that makes sense. But to get more uncomfortable, let's talk about the idea of a politician's syllogism, which is not just restricted to politics, but you see it here a lot. Something must be done to solve this problem. We are doing something, therefore, we are solving this problem. Now think about it in the context of a whole bunch of different things. Somebody's trigger is up here. Or let's put it this way. It, you, if you have a trigger, it is most likely up here. Some of you are immediately thinking, well, yeah, but that particular thing that that particular person did was solving the problem or wasn't solving the problem based purely on what side of the aisle you happened to be on. I'm in education, so my hot button here is education, right? You know the old saying that the only thing that's implied by the existence of a standardized test is the existence of a standardized child? <laughs> But here's the thing, we are most likely to believe something that is not true if it reinforces something else we believe or want to believe. Anybody know what we usually call this? Confirmation bias. Confirmation bias. Yeah, wishful thinking. I told you this was going to be an uncomfortable topic. That's not very comfortable, is it? Now, I think the Bible pretty clearly shows us that truth exists. Jesus calls himself that. And I also think that it's perfectly rational for a Christian, or anybody for that matter, to believe that we can know truth. But can we know that we know truth? Well, I think that's where that funnel comes in. Imagine that base of the funnel is the truth, and the coin is what we think we know, what we believe about that truth. When that coin first hits the edge of the funnel, it's the first thing you ever hear about that topic. And because you have no reason not to believe it, generally speaking, we do. 
You know, that, that's just human nature. The first thing we hear about a thing, it's, it's what we believe. But then you have experience. Then you have wisdom. Then you read about that idea in Scripture. Then you get older and older. You get more experience. And your view changes. The goal, I think, is for that change to constantly be driving you toward the center of the funnel. Does truth exist? Yeah, it's right there in the middle. Can we know it? Sure, we can know it. Can we know that we know it? Should we believe that we know it? I think as long as we are constantly striving to get closer to whatever that truth is, that we're on the right path, right? I think scripture's pretty clear about this one. Even if it's an uncomfortable topic, even if it's something that you don't really want to think about. No, 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 I'm not comfortable with that. So I got a lot of things I got to do today, so I'm not going to think about that. I'm going to turn on the radio and listen to music, or I'm going to listen to this podcast, or this great audio book, or this wonderful TED talk, but I'm not going to think about that uncomfortable thing. I don't think that's a healthy relationship with truth. I think the funnel is a more healthy relationship with truth. So what I would like to invite everyone to do is to be uncomfortable for a minute. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think about something that you believe that's uncomfortable. Something that, oh boy, I don't know. I don't really like thinking about that thing. When did it start becoming uncomfortable? Was it when you first heard it? Or was it when you had more experience? Was it when you started really thinking about it? When you started reading about it in scripture? You can take all the time you need to think about this one. I'm definitely not gonna cut you short. I am going to ask Bailey to lead us in a song. And if you want to sing along, you can. If you want to just listen and continue to think about this, continue to think about your uncomfortable truth, that's totally fine. Whatever it is that you need to do, why is it uncomfortable? Is it uncomfortable because the Holy Spirit is prompting you to change what you think? Is it uncomfortable because... Your friends are prompting you to change what you think, even if you are sure it's true. Why is that? Again, I'm not here to give you the answers. I'm here to encourage you to ask those questions. It's okay to be uncomfortable. This is an okay place to do that.